right. Well, um, when I was here a couple weeks ago, we took a brief interlude from our studies in the Book of Luke um, to do our Mother's Day message. And now we are back to Luke. This is our last um, message in the Book of Luke for the series. Um, I think I started this um, in May of 2013, or 14, one of the two, so it's been quite a journey. But as we wrap up this, I'm already looking forward to opening the Book of Acts with you, Lord willing, beginning in June. And so, um, just very excited by what we have learned so far, and I hope that it has been a blessing to you as well. Um, if you will turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, um, verse 36. Luke 24, verse 36. And we're going to continue um, to read about the resurrected Christ. Which I think um, is a great thing because we need to live in the daily reality of the resurrected Christ. That's what gives us hope. That's what separates us from the world. If you open up your laptop and you go to the news, like my homepage is USA Today, and you open that up and you realize how dark the world is, and maybe you, to a certain extent, even as a believer, think about the hopelessness that is there because it is real, then you realize that you have hope because Jesus is risen. He's not in the grave. He's not somewhere distant from us. He is a prayer away. Paul says, because of Jesus' sacrifice, we say, Abba, Father. Abba is not a formal title. It is simply acknowledging Him as our Father, as our Dad. To think that the God of the universe allows us to use that title for Him is amazing. And it's all because of what Jesus Christ did for us. And we just spend the hour reflecting on that. The one thing that I often think about, at least, is that sometimes I don't think we spend enough time, even during that time, talking about the resurrection. And why is that important? Because Paul said, if we do not talk about the resurrection when we talk about the death, then we're of all men most miserable. It's the resurrection that gives the death its ultimate power. Because the resurrection was God's, God's exclamation point to say that Jesus' sacrifice was enough. Because he conquered death in the grave. It's because of his resurrection that we will rise too. He's the firstborn of many brothers. The first one to rise. Because he has risen, I will rise. So let's look at 
this passage, and we'll start um, with our, um, I basically simply titled this week's message, Jesus Appears to and Commissions the Disciples. Now, if, if I was God, I'd probably be tempted to start over completely because these guys who followed me for three years, they heard everything I said, they didn't believe a word of it, and they ran. They forsook me and ran. And yeah, he doesn't do that. What does he do? I'm going to just backtrack a couple of verses just because I, I like these verses. Verse 31 says, And their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together, and then they were with him saying, The Lord is in the deed indeed, and has appeared unto Simon. And they told them what things were done in the way, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of bread. And as they thus spoke, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, and saith unto them, I can't believe he didn't believe me. No, he didn't. He said, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your heart? Behold my hands and my feet, and it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet, And when, and while they yet believed not for joy and wonder, he said to them, Have you any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish of an honeycomb, and he took it and did eat it before them. And he said unto them, Okay, and ate it before them. So, in this first portion, Jesus meets the disciples where they were. Remember when he was talking to the women um, after he appeared to them on the road, he said, don't cling to me. And yet, in this passage, he says, touch me, handle me, see that I have flesh and bone. So I think um, there's a real, very real thing where Jesus, he wants to meet people where they are. And this is a reminder to us, too, to not be too hard on Thomas. Because Jesus didn't just stand before these other disciples and say, just see me and know that I'm alive. He said, touch me and handle me. So when Thomas says, unless I put my hands in the scars on his hand, and unless I thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. 
he had already given the other disciples a chance to do exactly what Thomas was asking for. So I think it's important for us to realize that any one of us, any one of them, could have been doubting Thomas. And then Luke wants to make sure, and Luke as a physician is good at these type of details, Luke wants us to make sure that Jesus rose bodily. That he wasn't just a spirit, that he wasn't just a ghost. Luke emphasizes these things. He says, I'm flesh and bone. And then he says, do you have anything to eat? Now, in any other context, that seems kind of odd. Jesus appears in the upper room. You know, he just walks through the wall and he's like, Hey, by the way, do you have anything to eat? And then he ate, um, it tells us what he ate. He ate some broiled fish and some honeycomb. And I think that's there for you and I so that we know, that we know that we know that he had a bodily, physical resurrection. And yet, he was walking through walls. Now that intrigued me because I think that his, our resurrection will be similar to his and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what new abilities I'll have besides being able to walk that my new body will afford me. But his response to them of peace beyond me, why is that? Why is he able to make that declaration? Because as we talked about in the breaking of bread, he made peace. There was nothing that we could do. From the Old Testament, we see that too. Remember when he tells Abraham that he's going to make a covenant with him. And Abraham prepares the bullock. And he chases the birds away because this is a sacrifice for God. And he cuts the, the bullock in half. But then after that, God puts Abraham to sleep. Why? Because Abraham was not capable of fulfilling this covenant. The only way that the children of Israel remained God's chosen people was because of God. Because anybody else who had a finite understanding of love, who didn't know what it meant to really love, would have thrown them out. Like yesterday. But God loves Israel. Some people thought they would never again be a nation, but in 1948 they were a nation again. And when people go against Israel, bad things happen. Because God loves Israel. Do I understand why? No. But I don't understand why He loves me either. I'm a pretty messed up guy without Him. Just ask my family. They'll tell you. They've known me for 39 years. But they also know the transformative power of Jesus in my life. And I pray that many of you do as well. In my life and in yours. And I think it's interesting in verse 39. He says, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. I'm not an imposter. Handle me and see, for a spirit has not flesh and bones as you have seen me. And what is it that John says in John chapter 1? 1 John chapter 1? That which our hands have handled, 
which we have experienced, the word of life. So he was no doubt thinking back on this time. And he showed them his hand and his feet. Jan Crosby wrote a hymn where she said, I shall know him, I shall know him by the prince of the nails in his hand. And so, we see here that Jesus is just establishing the fact that, you know, I told you at least three times that I was coming back. That I was going to be alive again. And you didn't believe me, and yet here I am. And so he met them where they, where they were, and he will meet you where you are, too. I could spend the rest of the hour if I wanted to telling you stories of people like Lee Strobel and Josh McDowell and even our local weatherman for many years, Craig James, who said they were going to open the Bible and prove it wrong. But as they started to read the words, they met the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. And they realized that they can't prove it wrong. Because the Word is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. That's why Jesus said, if you seek me, you will find. He didn't say, you may find. He didn't say, if you get lucky, you'll find. He said, if you seek me, you will find. A lot of people that are called seekers, or that we consider seekers, are not really seekers, because if they were really seeking, they would find. Now, fortunately, God is patient. And many people go through years of looking the wrong way before they look the right way, but God will be found if you're truly seeking Him. I wonder if we could look at John chapter 20, verses 19 and 20. John 20, verses 19 and 20. If somebody gets that, if they could read that for us. Then the same day after evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples, where the disciples were assembled, Peter and the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed up to them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. <coughs> So, we know from this passage in Luke that it took them a little while because it said they were still, after he showed them all this stuff, they were still um, terrified and affrighted. And, uh, but we see in there just the fact that he was able to go through the locked door to be with them because he was no longer in a temporal human body, even the eternal body that you and I can look forward to in the hereafter. It will be a flesh and blood body. We're not just going to be ethereal spirits floating through the ether. We're going to have bodies. And I believe that they will be modeled at least by the bodies we have now. 
Because he still has his scars. He showed them his hands and his feet and his side. Now, the scriptures say in Isaiah that his visage was marred more than any man. And I wonder if some of that healed or if he still bears scars on his face. I don't know. All I know is that he's still in that body. So when he made that decision thousands of years ago, before time, to become a human for us, he was making a, an eternal choice. And that, that was what he was going to do. It wasn't just a simple, oh, I'll borrow it for a time and then go back and make an eternal choice. And so now, in our second section, Jesus is going to explain the gospel. This is the gospel fulfilled. Remember, Paul said, I have delivered unto you that which I also received, that Christ died according to the Scriptures, was buried according to the Scriptures, and rose again according to the Scriptures. The disciples, before he went to the cross, and before he rose again were incapable of preaching the gospel in a complete way because it wasn't complete. But as he's standing before them now it is. Let's read Luke twenty four, forty four to forty eight. Luke twenty four, forty four to forty eight says and he said unto them, These things are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Then he opened their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. Verse 45 is actually a very powerful verse. I remember hearing a story not too long ago. Well, maybe within the last five to seven years or so, about a Jew in Israel who every day painstakingly transcribed the psalm. And someone asked him, they said, you must derive such comfort from transcribing these psalms and from, from hearing these words of comfort from God. He said, well, actually, I'm an atheist. I don't believe there is a God. And as a blood-bought saint and child of God, I can't understand how you can read this book and not be moved every single time. But the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But for those who believe it is the power of God, my friends, I'm nothing without the cross. But there are those who only see it as an ugly instrument of torture. It's like that hymn, The Old Rugged Cross, in the old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. Why do we see that beauty? Because we know 
that without the cross we'd be in big trouble. The best of me isn't enough to make up for the worst of me. The best of him is enough to take all the worst of me and change it day by day until someday when I reach glory I'll be perfect. Forever. But the Holy Spirit has to open our eyes to the Scriptures. And He said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooves Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are my witnesses of these things. The Bible says that knowing the joy that was set before him, Jesus went to the cross. He knew it was going to be painful. It was more painful than any of us can comprehend. Even if we read the details of crucifixion, because I'm convinced that the most painful part the greatest pain he went through was the rejection from his father. The fact that he became sin. The grossest thing he could ever become, he became for you and me. And uh, now repentance and remission of sins can be preached. Why? Because he, he took the penalty. He that believes on him will be passed from death to life. Why? Because he is the bridge. He took our death and he made us alive. And he says we can live eternally with him. Yes, some may kill our body as it is right now, but it will be resurrected. I think it's sobering to think about that everybody's body is going to be resurrected. Daniel 12 3 says that some will go into everlasting joy and some will go into everlasting torment. It's not a choice of whether you're eternal. Choice is what eternity will you go to. I'm going to an eternity in heaven, not because Andrew Gomerson is this great guy. Because the God that I serve is greater than any. And he took my penalty. And he says to the devil, you don't have a claim on him anymore. Because he's mine. And I take such solace in that. And then he says, you are my witnesses of these things. <clears throat> you ever think about what kind of peace that must have brought the disciples to realize that no matter how much we've screwed up, he's still going to use us to be witnesses for him. I take great solace in that. I'm not a perfect person. But God has redeemed me and is continuing to 
do his work in me and he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for family and friends that are patient with me, that teach me, that guide me, that grow me. And I'm thankful for people to guide and grow in the things of the Lord as well. So Jesus had to open their understanding. He explained the completed gospel. He says, I died and I rose again the third day for the remission of sin. That's the gospel, folks. We complicated it, but that is, in its very essence, the gospel. So we look at 1 John 5, verse 20. 1 John 5, 20. Remember, in the breaking of bread, we talked about how Jesus said, I'm the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And then when he was standing in front of Pilate, Pilate said, what is truth? And um, Jesus was right there, but he missed it. Because the Holy Spirit of God hadn't opened his eyes to the fact that the truth was staring him right in the face. And yet in this verse, 1 John 5.20, we see the word truth, what is it, three or four times? Three times. You see the word truth. I'm going to turn to it so I can look at it too. Real quick, I think it's important. 1 John 5.20 1 John 5.20, I'll read it again. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true and that we are in Him that is true even in the Son Jesus Christ that is the true God and eternal life. So we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. Remember we said that Jesus opened their understanding. Again, I think John might be reflecting on this very moment when God gave him an understanding that that, he, that Jesus was the fulfillment of all the Scriptures. All this time, through the whole book of Luke and any other gospel, what do we constantly read about the disciples? One phrase comes up over and over again. They understood not what he said. Or some kind of variety thereof. They understood not what he said. And yet, in that one moment, in the upper room, he opened their understanding and they understood the scriptures. 
Now, yes, they had a life of growing. But I believe that it was at that point that the, that the germ for uh, the Gospel of John and the Gospel of Matthew especially were born because these men were saying all these teachings, all these things that we have heard from him, they make sense. We need to write these down because they're important. And then, we know him that is true, and we are in him that is true. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, know that you are in with Christ in God. One of um, John Diorley's favorite hymns says these words, More secure is no one ever than the loved ones of the Savior. What a line. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you because we know him that is true and we are in him that is true. Even in his Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Paul said, eternal life is that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That's why the world doesn't care if you say generic God. If you say God bless, I mean, I guess they're starting to on the fringes. But for the most part, if you say God bless, or God was good to me, they don't have much bad to say. But if you say the name Jesus and you're not cursing, they hate it. Because they hate Jesus. Because the devil has told them that Jesus is worthy of hate. Why is it? Because at one point, Lucifer said, I will be like God. I will ascend to the heavens. And then he was cast out of heaven. And so we can be confident that we are in the truth, that we are in Jesus. That's why it's all about Jesus. If we get away from that, that's when we get into trouble. And so, as we look at this final section, then Jesus promises the Holy Spirit and says a goodbye to his disciples. Now we know that his Holy Spirit means that he's present with us and we believe that wholeheartedly. But I also know the difference between being with someone physically and not being with them physically. The Apostle John, I believe, writes in Second John, I would that I would see you face to face so that I would not have to write this pen and ink. You see, I can write a letter to someone I love and it does help. It does ease the loneliness, especially if they write that. But there's nothing like face to face. 
my brother and my sister, my brother's back in Michigan, I'm so grateful. Brother Simon has moved to Wellington to be a recruiter for the Marines. And my sister Faith is in town because they went to a marriage conference last weekend. And seeing her face to face is a whole lot better than texting her or seeing FaceTime. Because in my eyes, even though she's in her late 20s with four kids, she's still the baby girl that I prayed for for 11 years. I had to go through five brothers before I got her. And then I had to go through another three brothers before I got my sister Hope. When when they had charity after Hope, I was like totally shocked that they were capable of having two girls in a row. But God has his plan and he works them out for the best. But the point being that I'm sure there was a level of sorrow even with the Holy Spirit that the physical presence of Jesus was not there. That's why they were gazing into heaven which we'll get into very soon. And why they had to be reminded to be about their father's work and wait until they returned. And why so many times people have thought that Jesus' return was eminent. Now, I do believe that it is eminent. I believe he's coming soon. My preference would be to go to heaven without dying. Because I still fear the process of death, even though I don't fear its result. But I don't know what God has planned. The Bible says that a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. His time frame is not my time frame. So we look at this last portion here. Luke twenty four forty nine. And behold, I send you the promise of my Father. I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued from, with power from on high. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass that when he blessed them, and he, that, that when he blessed them, he departed from them and carried them to heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. And so I find it interesting too, human logic would say, well, why didn't he just leave the Holy Spirit? Why didn't they, why weren't they just endued with this power from on high that day in the upper room so there was no gap? But God says, stay and wait on me. He wants us to depend on him. He wants us to care. He wants us to pray and to cry out for him. 
And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. In Matthew we read, he says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And they ran back to the upper room and cowered and hid, just like they did before the resurrection was made known unto them. No, they didn't. They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continuing in the temple praising and blessing God. And we're going to see more adventures for them as we get into the book of Acts next time. But by way of practical application, just think about this. There was a time, if you are a believer, where Jesus met you where you were. And sometimes even after we're believers, like in my case as a young teenager, he has to meet us where we are and say, you know, your way of thinking is not the right way of thinking. I always told God after I was converted, I said, well, God, if you had given me a healthy body, then I could serve you, but... Since you've chosen the crippled body for me, um, maybe we'll talk later, but I don't really have much to offer. And I actually believed that for a good number of years. Oh, I won't say every day was like that, but I had a lot of bad days. But I got to the point when I was about 14 after recovering from the death of my brother where God reached down to me and said you know I don't need to change the outside of you to use you I just need to change your heart I just need to be allowed to work in your life and then I can do great things for you and through you that you know not And over the last several years, I have experienced the truth of the scripture that is, for it is God who worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And I want to say to each of you, God has that same mindset towards you. He wants to do the good in you and through you. But he's much more concerned what's happening in you than what's happening to you. And sometimes the things that happen to us are not pleasant, but they facilitate the things that are happening to us. And then if you will say, well, if you had enough faith, you could get out of that chair. My friends, God had a purpose for this chair, and he's fulfilling it every day. Every time I have to ask someone else for help, I'm reminded of the help that I can only find in Jesus Christ. I wouldn't trade that for anything. If I wake up one day and I'm healed, I'll rejoice in that. 
And I believe that one day I will be. But I'm not nearly as concerned about that as I am about serving God to my fullest extent right now. We could close our service today by reading 1 Peter 1, verse 7 to 9. 1 Peter 1, verse 7 to 9. If someone gets that, they can read it for us. Of your faith being more precious than gold, perishable, even though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice in joy and stressful and full of glory. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith and salvation. I'm encouraged by that because I'm talking about me. Job probably said it best when he said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And then he said, I know that my Redeemer lives and on the earth again will stand. And I know that in my flesh, I will see God. I often wonder how Job was given that revelation. Someday I'd like to ask him, but I know this, that God worked through the trials of Job's life and proved his faithfulness. Job said, shall I accept good from God and not evil? Imagine how transformative it would be if we would have that mindset. Because <laughs> all the ways of God are ultimately good. <clears throat> Even if we don't see it readily. But maybe you haven't experienced what it means to be born again by the Spirit of God. Might I encourage you that today is a good day to experience Jesus who was buried and rose again on your behalf so you can live in the power of the resurrection. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this book of Luke. Thank you for letting us journey through its pages, letting us learn the things that you have for us to learn. And yet, Lord, in so many ways, you only scratch the surface, but we thank you um, for Dr. Luke and his attention to detail and his desire to put forth a narrative of the things of Jesus so that Theophilus and others like him could come to know Jesus as Lord. I pray that you would bless each person here, that you make your face shine upon them, and give them peace. Give us safety through the remainder of this holiday weekend. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.